Okay. Ah. Oh, am I still in alive? Oh, look, I'm still in alive. <laughs> For anyone who can watch this, who can see this right now. There was no music out loud. It was just all in my head. You're welcome. This is like the weirdest part about getting on a live is like the beginning part where you're just talking to yourself and nobody else is present. Don't worry. I do it all the time. It's fine. You gotta keep things interesting over here, you know? I always wanted to be a drummer. <sighs> Love technology. It's great. It's, I mean, it is great. It makes it, it makes it so we are able to do these things. But sometimes doing these things makes, makes my head want to explode. Let's see. A button, work button. The invite has been sent. Mwahahaha. <laughs> so I sent you the invite. Hopefully you got it. We'll see. This is how I entertain myself when I'm by myself. <laughs> Silly dances. Vogue. Vogue. Anyway. <laughs> hey, Margarita. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay. I was just entertaining myself as we were getting things rolling. Actually, okay. iPad, so. Sweet. <laughs> All right, so as we begin, welcome to the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to talk about uh, just being human and what that feels like and looks like for all of us and just get to know new people and their stories. So today I have my friend Janelle, and I met her a couple of months ago through a class. I had to interview her for a class, which was fantastic, and then we found out that um, we could talk for hours. <laughs> so we're not going to talk for hours today. We're going to keep it to one. But what I first want to know and what everybody else out here wants to know, Janelle, is who are you? So I own Arena Training Institute, which is a, is a uh, boxing and jujitsu gym here in Cheyenne. And uh, also run a nonprofit called Ringside Sports that really helps support kids in our local community be able to participate in sports, whether it's through grants or 
providing gear. Um, we're tackling some, just some issues in our culture in Cheyenne and really trying to fight for the kids to make sure it's a good experience. So that's what I currently do. Um, my background is in the military. I, I was in the Air Force for seven years, right out of high school. And I was a cop for a couple of those. And then I went on to be a drill sergeant, which is kind of where I learned to just have that love for discipline and consistency and all the things that I really take into the boxing gym today. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, what do you think? So you mentioned discipline, but outside of discipline, what do you think served you the most in the military? Well, I think for me being in the military right at 18, I was really want, wanting independence and mm -hmm. to be able to provide for myself. And so having um, a structure that helped me do that on my own and, you know, mentorship, which is, you know, the same things that we really see that sports provide today, too, is the mentorship, the teamwork, the community, um, just learning the character disciplines that really can take us far in life are all really the things that I think I learned in the military that, I mean, I see opportunities in society all over, especially for our kids in sports. So what, if there was one thing that you would say, because we're like right now we're talking youth sports technically, because we're talking kids. Um, us, us adult beer league sports are a whole different thing. Um, not entirely, but most of this we have should have learned by now. But what do you think kids, what is the, what are the best lessons that sports teach? I mean, I think you have to put respect right up on the top of the list. You know, we're becoming a society that, you know, wants people to express themselves independently, which is great. But without respect, none of that really matters because respect requires a humbleness, a willingness mm -hmm. to learn, a willingness to listen, a willingness to not be right all the time, which gives people confidence in just that process of being able to learn. Um, and so really, I do think that respect is right up there when we can teach our kids how to respect a coach that maybe they don't agree with, maybe they don't like, maybe that they don't mesh with well, but first and foremost, they're always showing respect. It, it just teaches that kid some incredible strength that can really translate into all other things they do in life, especially as they become adults working in, in um, you know, a job that maybe their boss, they don't like their boss, but they know how to respect that person. And um, so I think, you know, really we're getting away from feeling like we should respect each other and demanding like, you know, the, um, that people should earn our respect. And I think our respect is something that a strong individual can do to anybody and to everybody, even if they disagree with them or they don't see eye to eye they can respect that person. And so I think, you know, I think if we could all work on a little bit of respect for each other, it'd go a long ways. I think that's so true. Um, I was definitely raised in a, in a family where like my grandfather was like, I'm you, I'm your elder and you will respect me. And I'm like, res well, one respect goes both ways. And like, I'm, I'm the type of person where, there's like a base level of respect that everybody gets. And then like from that base level, there are people who have definitely lost some of my respect. 
and then other people who have gained substantially more respect. But generally, if you are a living human being, you get the base level of respect no matter what. Like, unless you have horribly wronged me, but those most of those people I just keep out of my life so that I don't have to go into that disrespectful... I don't like being disrespectful, so I try to avoid things that make me feel like I need to be that makes sense so i agree with you 100 percent um well i think think too because i think when you disagree with someone or they've wronged you i think the the priority is to find a way to respect that person from afar Mm -hmm. um, a different vantage point from a different perspective um you know the people that i've had issues with I try not to tend to carry those hard feelings towards them because I always want to respect people. I don't, I've never walked a mile in their shoe. And so I try to remember that, but then I respect doesn't look like being a doormat either. Right. Like, you know, finding a different way to have a relationship. And sometimes it means being very far away from that person too. So. (laughs) Yeah. I think in my instances, it was a matter of respecting myself over respecting somebody else. And that's where the distance came from. But Um, so respect is a big one for sure. And I know like one of my favorite coaches growing up, um, I played competitive softball and she said like, and it was back when there were only two competitive teams and our team had, well, and there was two high schools. So there, there were girls from East and there were girls from central and, you know, were arch nemesis whatever and she would like anytime and it's a girls right so in girls there's usually a little bit more drama on girls sports teams um but she would remind us on a regular basis you don't have to like each other but you will respect each other like outside of the field you guys can be enemies you guys don't have to be friends but I don't care what happened at school. I don't care what happened in basketball last season. When you step on this field, you're a team and you will be a team together and you will work together. And if you can't do that, then you don't get to be part of the team because that's one of the things that I think that sports teaches really well is that you do have to be able to put aside your differences to work as a collective because most sports are team sports. Like, even if you look at, like, even if you're doing, like, track and field and swimming, you have your one event or your couple events that that's all you do. But at the end of the day, the overall score is still a team score. So all of those things get put together. So I very much agree. Respect is the name of the game. (laughs) Um, What are your... What is your experience with sports in your life? So I was raised uh, playing softball and volleyball, and um, but I really got into uh, rodeo. And so that was really my passion growing up was um, barrel racing and showing horses and 4-H and all that stuff, which, you know, isn't maybe <clears throat> an athletic sport, but it definitely teaches you all those things and really um, – there's some really cool things that happen with kids, I think, having experiences with animals growing up, and especially as they're dealing with things and having just that therapy of, of animals around them. And so 
um, that really did create a, a big passion for me for, you know, my own kids going forward of, you know, finding something that, that um, you love, finding something that, you know, you can really embrace and, and then, you know, go for it, have some fun with it and let it teach you. And, and uh, I, I really do credit a lot for just rodeo time with, you know, the, even my mentors of that day, teaching me how to barrel race, teaching, taking me on the road with them. Um, and then, you know, that partnership with my horse, learning how to deal with someone that doesn't want to work with you and you <laughs> ration with, um, but then, you know, staying the course and, and fighting through it. So I think I really like that perspective because that, it, that does, it takes a whole there's a whole nother meaning in that where your, where your teammate is literally a different species that does not <laughs> like you have to learn an entirely different language to be able to communicate. Um, I like that a lot. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Trying to figure out how to get your horse in the trailer, you know, like your teammates, you can be like, get on the bus, we're going. Well, the horse doesn't always want to get in the trailer, you know? And so it's like those types of challenges that you had to figure out. So and I think that, too, is challenges. I like that word a lot. I think that's one of the things that youth sports, um, sports in general, but especially in your formative years, like it teaches you how to overcome. It teaches you how to problem solve. Um, and a lot of that, and I, I mean, I worked in youth, like youth, youth sports, like three to 12 year olds for almost a decade and watching how much kids grow in that time. And like, one of my favorite things coaching has always been that moment where it clicks. Like when you're teaching a kid how to do a jump shot and they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then one day it's like, Hey coach, look what I can do. And you're like, Oh my God, you got it. <laughs> it's there. Um, or like, when kids figure out, we're going to talk a lot of basketball because I just got done coaching that. Um, when kids figure out that if you can pass the ball quickly, like the other team can't keep up with you. And like, it's just all these things that watching kids learn is so amazing. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, it is really, I mean, you just see how much they learn from it. And I really feel like we're fighting a society that wants, you know, the, everyone gets the trophy and we're losing a little bit of the heart of like what makes sports so impactful is that kids have to learn how to lose. They have to learn how to struggle. They have to learn how to not be good at everything. Um, especially in the boxing gym, we really focus a lot on, you know, you're not going to be good at everything. You're not going to be quick on your feet. You're not going to have the speed. Maybe you won't have the power. Maybe you won't have the endurance. But you work those things and then figure out what you are good at. And then you build a game off of that. And I think kids especially need to hear that more. That we don't expect you to be perfect at everything. We expect you to have to learn how to do those things. How to struggle, how to not be good at it, how to fail, how to get back up, how to go home discouraged, wanting to quit, and showing up the next day. Like, how do you do that? You know, you don't let yourself quit. And you feel like you don't want to go, you go anyways. And all those really important things. I, I just, I, I look at all the things that, you know, my own kids learn. And I realize that it, it does play a big part of helping kids develop. Oh, yeah, for sure. I will actually, so I always, oh, I always say argument because it always feels like an argument. So I'm actually pro 
um, participation medals for youth athletes, but it's exactly for what you just said is because kids put so much time and effort into learning how to show up. And there are a lot of adults who haven't learned that showing up makes a huge difference. So like to me, a participation trophy is like, hey, you learned how to participate. You learned how to stick it out. So it's like, to me, it's not everybody wins, but it is like, because honestly, like coaching three-year-olds, half of them show up for snacks at the end of the day. And um, that's totally fine. I still show up for snacks, honestly. But the kids who come back and the kids who stay, even when they don't want to be there, like they are learning lifelong lessons. And if at the end of eight weeks, they get a shiny medal that says, I did it. Like I stuck this out. I'm like, go for it. Hang that on your wall. Because honestly, <laughs> you're going to hit your 20s and you're going to be like, what is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> this oh. like I got medals for showing up for six years. <laughs> I'm totally with you though. Like that's, we can't underestimate how impactful that is, is not letting a kid quit. You know, when they get frustrated and they're not doing good, or maybe they're not good at it, but maybe mm -hmm. learn it and stick it out. Maybe they won't ever play that sport again, but making them finish something and then saying, okay, that wasn't your thing. What is it? Let's go on to the next sport. And really pushing them, you know, to find that stuff for themselves. I think it's important. And I think, um, I don't want to rag on parents because being a parent is terribly hard, but especially when you're talking like little kids, like the little kids aren't the ones making the decisions. The parents are, and the parents are the ones who decide, like if you're, if you're going to make your kids sit there, and have a tantrum because they don't want to be there because you told them they will finish it. Or if you're going to let them leave because they don't want to be there. Like that is at the end of the day, that's the adult making the decision and not the child. And so I cannot tell you how many times my kids, my kids are tantrum throwers, not going to lie. And I'm definitely that mom. Like I'm not the mom who would like take my kid out of the grocery store while they're throwing a tantrum. I'm the kid who would like throw her, throw him over my shoulder and let him kick and scream while I'm shopping because I'm like, I have things to do. You don't get to interrupt my life because you're feeling feelings, feel your feelings. That's fine. Life has to continue because that's like one of the hardest life lessons I think is that you have to feel all of your stuff, but you can't let it stop your forward progression and my kids have gotten mad at me because I'm like, no, like week one, you decided that you don't like soccer anymore. Too bad. You asked to play soccer. So you have seven more weeks. Congratulations. Learn to like it or learn to be a great cheerleader. Like th those are your options. And so, and now they both love soccer. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of convincing. And I think that's one of the things that I really gained in the military at such a young age was just the consistency that the military offers. You know, you're going to fail, you're going to mess some things up, you're going to you're going to make some mistakes, but you know, the thing that the military offers is the next day you're going to show back up and you're going to get mentored on it and you're going to mm -hmm. um, you know, a leader that can help you figure it out and they're not going to let you give up. You don't you you just can't give up in the military. And so, you know, when you see that translated into sports and a good coach that 
can tell a kid, you know what? Yeah, you're not the star player, but you're going to show up tomorrow and we're going to fix those things that you made a mistake on and you have a safe place to grow. Um, I think, man, that's, that's so important for kids just to know that they can make those mistakes and press through. And even, you know, at school, having a teacher that can say, yeah, this isn't your strong suit, but what, you know, what can we do to continue to improve this? Right. And that's, I think that's a huge thing is you making persistent improvements on the things that you struggle with, but also being able to highlight the things that you're good at. Because there are some people who will go with athletically are not the most skilled people, but they might bring the best energy to the team. And without their energy, the team would not be as good. Like, and that matters. I cannot tell you, like, how many times when, like, college recruits would come to our softball games, they're like, I don't care what your batting average is. I don't care how good you are. If you suck the fun out of the game, and if you don't have a high enough energy, I don't want you on my team. Because it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual player. When it comes to a team sport, you have to be able to keep your heads up when it gets tough because like I remember always training with like the football team and they'd always say fourth quarter like fourth quarter is what matters it does not matter how bad you played the first three quarters if you can pick it up in fourth quarter how many Super Bowls have we seen in the most recent years where that's exactly like the people who persisted through the very last second of the game come out with Super Bowl rings and or national championships or whatever, because they're the ones who are like, no, we're not done. Like, the, it's not over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> so I think that's one of the best things that sports teaches us is persistence. And um, it's the hardest thing to learn is getting up after you fall. Um, I know I didn't learn it until like my mid twenties and I've been playing competitive sports since like fifth grade. So it's a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> yep. um, so we have some other things in common as well. I transition a little bit because I like to tangent because that's how my brain works. Um, and I know that you also wrote a book and um, are you willing to share a little bit about that experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called Dearly Loved Exile, and it's um, kind of a story. Um, well, it's my story and really how I walked through a tragedy that I faced um, about 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, we lived in San Antonio, and I was headed to take some college finals. I had just recently gotten out of the military, and so... Um, that was just a regular morning, headed on the interstate, 10.50 in the morning, and a man ran out on the interstate in front of me. They assumed that he was probably committing suicide, but I hit him, and he was instantly killed. And um, so, you know, getting out of the military, I had a five-week-old um, baby at the time, and it just tragically, drastically changed the trajectory of my life. Um, at that point, I was finishing up my match, uh, bachelor's in criminal justice, and I wanted to go on and do law enforcement. 
and it really rattled my whole life and changed really, you know, who I was. And I had to take a moment and go, man, like, how do I continue to live through this? And definitely um, the book is written about how my life really lined up with some of the lessons that we see through the Old Testament and how, um, you know, having faith and purpose really pulled the people of the Old Testament through, which is how I really got through that and found um, just some answers that I was looking for, you know, of the why me, why would this happen to me? And so, um, but it really did change everything. I had to say, like, who, who am I and what is going to make me happy in my life? And, um, you know, in that search, it really did pull me into boxing, a sport that, you know, you can find where the toughest individuals of, I mean, facing down an opponent that wants to knock you out. How does someone find that kind of strength? And that's really what I was searching for, I think, through that whole journey of, of healing um, is I had to ask, you know, what makes strength and what mm -hmm. is true strength? I mean, people can say how strong they are. They can, they can, you know, show off, but really like the people that are living big, strong lives, what's the common denominator? And it's, you know, it really does boil down to like purpose and in that whole situation, that's what it gave me was purpose. What I realized going through that, that tragedy was that there's people in this world that are going through such hard times that they're willing to, um, in their life in really crazy, scary ways. Um, and that happens every day. There's someone out there right now that's contemplating jumping in front of, um, you know, a five lane interstate through downtown San Antonio because situations are so hard. And, you know, how can I live my life um, to help those people, but then also to live my life bigger in honor of that man? Um, because I don't, I still don't understand the circumstances that he was facing. I don't understand exactly what was happening. Um, but what I do know is that I can actually live bigger for him. And knowing that if I can help someone in the future or be an encouragement or provide a path of finding strength for somebody in the future, then it makes purpose in my life. It brings purpose to me. And so that's really kind of, um, you know, what's brought me on this path of boxing and jujitsu and now a nonprofit that helps with sports. And, and I can look at it all and say, it's because of this man, uh, without him in my life, I, I'd probably be, you know, doing law enforcement, um, and it, and he changed everything about me and I, I don't know much about him, but I'm still living big for him. And May 9th is the anniversary. It'll be 15 years next month, a couple of weeks from now. Um, and it's always, you know, a special time for me because he really, he changed me for the better and I, I don't know much about him, but so that's kind of what the book's about. Um, and hopefully, you know, it can, it can continue to help people understand, you know, those really hard questions when you go through hard things of, why me? And if there is a God, why would he pick me to, to be in this position? And those are the answers that I found and I wrote about. So that's lovely. I, I look forward to reading it. It is on my, my to read list. Um, <laughs> and I think the lessons from that is also fantastic because as humans, we do have we have a greater purpose and everybody's purpose is going to be different because we are different human beings. But 
having those opportunities and I sometimes those opportunities come from tragic events like yours and um but it's not always tragedy sometimes it comes from a really happy event but I'm a firm believer in the impact that people have on one another and like I guess the idea of the butterfly effect so having having a small impact on a handful of people can change the world and I think first of all that I am grateful for that man and for who he was and for what led him to have that interaction with you even though it was not a great event because I have met you now and who you are and who you are now is a fantastic person who brings a lot to the world and if that is the thing that needed to happen for that change to occur um though we can we can still grieve it and we can still hold that space for the the sad and the the tragic part of that and um the loss of life but also like you said looking at the amount of life that has come from it is also very beautiful and i think um i i mean i'm not a believer but if i'm proven wrong um if if that man is up in heaven somewhere and he's looking down he can be like i did good because he can see that all of the good is happening because of him and um yeah just that that idea that the smallest occurrences in your life can make a huge difference yeah i really feel like there's this weird thing that happens from tragedy and that i call it like the miracle of the tragedy and mm -hmm. If I could go back, I would never wish it upon myself. I would never wish it upon my family. Um, but seeing the good that has come from it feels just like it's a miracle. I can't explain some of the things that I've seen. And it's come from this like horrendous thing that was the worst day of my life. And yet you see like beauty coming from it. And so it does feel like to me, it's a miracle that nobody can explain. So when I see people going through other tragedies, you know, you have to just know, like, as they walk through it and they grieve it and they heal from it, there is going to be beauty that comes from it. And it's going to change this world. And it's going to be a miracle to everyone that watches and to everyone that knows what they walked through. And, um, you know, timing is their own, but, um, I think those things really can change the world and it's a miracle that, you know, it comes from tragedy often. Yeah. And I think, so on a, a nerdy brain side of things. So there's most people have heard of post-traumatic stress. Um, but there's the other side of that, which is post-traumatic growth. So, and you can do both. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, um, for people like me who go to therapy a lot, it takes a long time to work through things. But finding those, finding the beauty and finding the growth and finding the healing. Like sometimes, some people are able to, like, when a bad thing happens, they instantly find the opportunities in it. 
um, so more power to you. And some, um, it takes a lot of like what I call a healing journey to find those opportunities, to find those strengths. But your brain is actually wired to take those challenges and take those, those traumatic events and learn from them. Um, and the goal is to be able to learn in a healthy way, in a healthy manner, because post-traumatic stress is essentially like a, um, oh, come on word, brain, um, maladaptive coping mechanisms, and post-traumatic growth would be like positive adaptive coping mechanisms. And so finding that is, I mean, the, the most brilliant thing about our brains is that we have neuroplasticity, which means we are never stuck in what we are. We can always change. And it takes a lot of work and effort and more work and a lot of feeling, but it definitely is possible. And I think, and you use the word healing as well. And I think healing is one of the most beautiful things that a human can do because we are all um, I wrote a poem about it, but we're like, nobody is untouched by trauma. There's, it's part of the human condition is we, we get hurt. And um, depending on when you get hurt and how you get hurt and what kind of coping mechanisms you have already built in, sometimes you can handle it and sometimes you can't. And whether you learn before or after how to do that um, is really what determines a lot of like how much trauma affects you in your day-to-day -day life. But everybody, like whether it's your own trauma or your best friend's trauma or your spouse's trauma, like your parents who, you know, everyone talks about, you know, how like the generation before, like they did what they they could with what they knew. And like every generation says that because every generation we're getting a little bit better. We're getting a little bit more knowledgeable of like, hey, like we can speak to people with more respect. We can um, we can learn things without immense pain. Like all of these things that slowly but surely as humans, we're learning, right? And it is... It, I just think it's beautiful because everybody, everybody has something to heal from, whether it is something embarrassing that happened in fifth grade or, um, and as a note, I'm not comparing these two, <laughs> um, or like an abusive relationship, those, or even like the way you see yourself, those are all things that like require healing. And we live in a world where, we're told that we're supposed to be a certain way and most people aren't that way. And so healing that idea of like, who am I is, I think that's huge. And when you find that it's gold. And I love that you are a person who helps people find that. It makes me very happy. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I think at some point along the way, someone told me, you know, you can either become bitter over this or you can become better. And 
the easy path is going to become to become bitter. And I think we see a lot of people in society right now really bitter because that's the easy path. Mm -hmm. Like the world out, shut it down, lash out on someone that didn't even deserve it. You know, just take it out on other people, you know, put people off in, in traffic, get mad at them in the grocery store, just become bitter because it's easy. Coming better, it takes a fight and you have to fight hard. And I think one of the biggest gifts that I had during that time was just having a family, especially a husband that gave me space and time to just fight through it. And there was a lot of really hard and dark days and a lot of really hard questions that he could never answer. And, um, but I just, I was given space and time to process through and fight through and then just show up and say, you know what? I think boxing's where it's at. And <laughs> kind of took me down this crazy journey, but I was given the space and time just to kind of fight my way through that and have those questions answered. And so I think, you know, with dealing with anyone that's going through tragedy, it can be scary for people around them. But I think really the gift is giving that person just some time and understanding and having faith in them that they're going to figure their way out through it. And the future's unknown, which is the scary part. But I think it's the biggest gift we can give to each other is just saying, hey, where, wherever you take this thing, I'm going to be right beside you. And um, I'll stand here and let you cry on my shoulder or ask the crazy questions. Um, but tragedy can, you know, can change us all. So. Yeah. And support is huge. So that I'm very happy that you have support, first of all. Um, and yeah. So I also want to know, um, so we're going to, we're going to transfer back a little bit. So all of this has built you into this person that you are. Um, you started the, the boxing and then you built ringside sports as well. And I know that that has been a big thing for you and a lot of things that you're doing for the community, especially um, youth athletes in the community. So can you talk to that a little bit and what, like, one, like, where it came from, where you're like, this is, like, this has to happen. <laughs> well, with um, the boxing stuff, we had moved here from Montana, and, and so looking around and there wasn't you know a group of women to box with here and so i'm like well what if we just started a little group and um so started with about 19 girls and um and then it just kind of grew over the next couple of years and we eventually got into like a co-ed boxing and um just i mean it's been seven years now and it's been so amazing just to see the people come through having the opportunity to train a lot of people and even if boxing wasn't their thing and they moved on. I mean, every, there's not been one person that has been in that gym that hasn't changed me in some way, just learning from them. Um, but, you know, somewhere along the way, I thought, well, I, I, you know, I'm training all these people. I need to be getting my own training. So jumped into jujitsu and fell in love with that sport. And um, I mean, I just love the, the combat sports world because there's some incredibly tough and strong people in that, in that world. And um and so eventually we renamed it into Arena Training Institute based off the, the man in the arena quote from Teddy Roosevelt, which is, it's not the critic who counts. It's the man who's in the arena getting his butt kicked, blood, sweat, and tears um, that, you know, even if he fails, he, dare, he fails while daring greatly. And I think we really need more of that message in our society of like, hey, let's go big and let's, let's not live little lives. Let's live something that we're proud of and be daring with our life. And 
so that's really a lot of what we push there. And um, it's, you know, every day you see a lot of people showing up with their own baggage and, and fighting through. And so it's been a pretty cool journey. Um, and then, you know, just having strength in that gym and people that care about our community, we realized that there was a big need for, for the kids in the, in the community. And really one of our latest concerns is just the, the youth suicide rates that are happening in Laramie County, especially right now. Um, Laramie County has two times the national average for suicide. Um, and we think that's a problem. We, we, I mean, there's not any amount of suicide that's acceptable, but in a community like Cheyenne, that's a really beautiful community, a lot of wind maybe, um, but <laughs> has a heart like our downtown area of our frontier days of, you know, just the people of this community. I mean, it's incredible what we have here in Wyoming, especially in Cheyenne. And to have a two times national average of suicide, something's happening that we really have to fight back. And for our kids, especially saying there's um, zero suicides, it's the only acceptable rate we'll accept. And I think as adults and parents and as a community, we need to work on coming together more and saying, this isn't okay. How do we join resources and start fighting back as a team? And what we're finding, I think, is a lot of um, organizations within Cheyenne are fighting their battles on their own and mm -hmm. together. Our schools are being attacked by parents. And those are two organizations and two groups that need to be working together, our schools and our parents. And we need to build these bridges of trust back and start listening and cooperating and respecting each other more than anything. And so really Ringside is, you know, just hoping that we can be a voice for that, a voice for the kids first and foremost that can stand up and fight for them because there is a lot on the line right now with our suicide rates and, and more than ever right now, a good sports program that doesn't necessarily win, but has a good coach that cares and fights for a kid and, and cares about the kid that's quiet or struggling or under-resourced that shows up in tennis shoes instead of cleats. I mean, those coaches that are our first line defense with our kids um, on teams that can work with a parent, that can work with the school. That's where we, we're going to start winning with our kids. I, I agree. Um, as someone who mostly grew up here, um, suicide has impacted me a lot. Um, they're not all from Cheyenne, but most of them are. But I have lost 17 friends to suicide. And that is, like you said, it, it's unacceptable. And most of them were, you know, before the age of 20. So um, it's, it's huge. And especially our youth suicide rate, because we have like you said, there's, there, I mean, there's science behind how to prevent these things. There, like, we know what to do. We have to figure out how to do it and do it effectively. And there are people who are trying. But like you said, we need to come together as a community and work together for that greater, that greater good of saving our kids and i think i mean obviously i'm a giant sports nerd too so i think that's that 
can be a huge piece of that. I actually, um, having recent friends who are like really into video games and were actually on esports teams helped break my stigma of esports not being real sports. Um, because <laughs> I was like, they're video games. That's what they are. Um, but I think that's, I think there's a huge opportunity there actually, because you can start to reach the kids who aren't, um, I don't want to say athletically gifted, but like physical activity is not everybody's strong suit. And one of the things I learned from these friends is that um, to be competitive in esports, you still have to train physically. Like they actually still go through like weight training programs and things like that because they still have to keep, like they have to keep their mind sharp and their body sharp and all of that stuff. Um, which really helped me not dislike it as much because I'm a you know fitness freak. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity there to reach the kids who aren't reached by the the standard baseball, softball, basketball coaches. Um, because I think a lot of those kids are the ones that haven't been reached. So I think, just throwing it out there, there's some opportunity to, um, especially like LCCC actually has an esports team now. So um, it's growing. And I think finding a way to incorporate that can reach a lot more kids. Those are my two cents. <laughs> I mean, I think any, any opportunity to place adults in a kid's life is yes. what, what we're really like, we need to be promoting more. And, you know, there's been, we've had coaches for our own kids that, you know, have been able to say things to our kids that we've tried to tell them, but that coach just speaks right into them. And, um, you know, my son in football, especially he gets that football coach and he grabs him and he says, you can do this, you know, and my, my son's just like eating that stuff up and it's stuff that maybe I can't do as a, as a mom. And so as a team, I think we've just got to realize that any adult influence mentorship that we can put into our kid's life and ensure that our kids are listening and respecting and showing up and being open to learn from those people. Um, I think is going to be the key to really fight back for our kids. Um, the, there was a study that came out that I heard about this week that said uh, suicide is the second leading cause for 10 to 14 year olds and suicide, man, like we've got to help those 10 to 14 year olds. Um, we've got to start pushing more positive things. And I think the pandemic has really shifted a lot of, attention into restrictions and quarantines and how to navigate these tricky times. And it's really complicated, um, you know, coaching jobs and administrators jobs because they're wading through this really crazy world. And mm -hmm. I think we're seeing the effects on our kids that we need this team. Coaches have never been more important. Administrators have never been more important. Parents have never been more important. And it's not about winning. It's about mentorship and giving these kids a community. Um, and Cheyenne offers the best, I think. And so when we start building up our sports programs, we've got three incredible school district or uh, schools in Cheyenne. 
we start making all three of those better, all three of them are going to thrive more. And there's no reason why Cheyenne can't be put on the map in Wyoming as having the best sports in their school district. And I think when we can start stop focusing on just one or the rivalries across the board and say, we want all three the best. And we want to take one, two, three in the state in every sport um, and start fighting back because we know that that's, that's um, being on the kids team, of course, just Cheyenne kids that it's not about, you know, a district. It's about Cheyenne kids and wanting the best for them. So that's really, you know, what ringside is focusing on. And, and while it's, you know, suicide on one hand and sports on the other, I think those two things really do go hand in hand. I agree. Um, and I would love to see, I love that you said, like, we want to make Cheyenne, like, I, I would love to see Cheyenne be a powerhouse. Like, I want, first of all, I know that there's incredible athletes that come out of this town. And that's one of the things I'm working towards is helping them get to their goals of higher um, competition. But if we focused it on that as a community and not, I mean, the Crosstown rivalries, they're, they're really fun to promote on like the one game, well, multiple games a year, I guess, that they play the rival. But at the end of the day, um, I don't, I mean, I make jokes. I went to East. I make jokes about how East was the better school than Central. I really don't care. <laughs> like, there's, like, there's, I don't, it means nothing to me at the end of the day in my actual adult life. Like, it was fun to paint my face for games and, like, really get intense about one game. But at the end of the day, I have, I had friends that went to the other school who, when, even when we did play each other on the court, we would still be friends right afterwards. And, um, I think one, I think adding South has been fantastic um, because it, it gives a whole nother level of opportunity um, for kids because there was like having, as I went to Johnson, I grew up on the South side. So like one of the hardest things about going there was that hat, like the kids you grew up with and went to junior high with, as soon as you went to high school, we got split. And so those kids now have the opportunity to actually build those friendships and those relationships. And it's going to be a lot easier to keep those because proximity, honestly. Um, but I also think it gives us a huge opportunity, like you said, to become more of a cohesive community and less us against them. Because at the end of the day, high school rivalries aren't important <laughs> yeah for sure and you know you do see where south is just um a little bit more disadvantaged with their sports program and and i think this community has been okay with that and um you know and, and so the new uh norm is if you don't want your kid to go south you just waiver them and it's causing such a big issue in in our sports system in cheyenne and we're leaving South really disadvantaged at it. And so the kids that are left there are left to fight through uh, losing seasons. And I think as a community, we need to start saying, you know what, that's not okay. Let's start putting kids where they need to go. Let's make sure that all three schools are equally stacked with their athletes. Let's not recruit out of another school. Let's be on, let's be on Team Cheyenne here. 
Um, and so uh, I know it's kind of a, it's a very frowned upon conversation in this oh. community, but I think that we need to start talking about it and we need to start saying it's happening and we're not okay with it um, because it does leave kids disadvantaged. And we have some incredible coaches at South that are fighting hard. Um, it's so it's so inspiring to see some of what those coaches are, are doing on the South side where they haven't won a game in years because they have such a small pool of kids, but they are there every day and they're still fighting and they're still telling those kids, you know, we're proud of you. We're fighting. We're, we're going to not ever give up. And the kind of strength that takes is so incredible. And so, yeah, it's time for a new, new change in Cheyenne, new culture where, we put our kids where they belong. And um, honestly, you know, a lot of the kids that waver are losing out on those opportunities because they could be playing a ton if mm -hmm. they were in school. Um, they would be getting a ton of experience. And so that's the benefit of keeping them where they're at. If the program is broke and the, there needs to be some changes to the program, then we as a culture and a community need to stand up and fight for that and say, you know what, we want better for these kids so that they will go to their right school. Um, and you see some fantastic changes happening at South right now that things are changing. And as a community, we have to come together and keep pushing, standing behind uh, the new South football coach, Coach Moody. We're really excited for that new change. Um, hopefully he'll have a bunch of boys showing up. So I, I agree. And I think what I would like to stress on that is a lot uh, there's there's the part that you mentioned that it's it's going to be on parents it's going to be on all of us as the community to speak up about it but at the same time we need to also put pressure on our administration because there are rules against that that they turn a blind eye to and they need to stop like there are rules for a reason and you're like you're not supposed to be able to waiver for sports um and it's so they need to actually they they need to hold themselves accountable as well because at the end of the day they're the ones who get to make those calls and they need to do better and it's our job to hold them accountable to that but they also need to hold themselves accountable because they have been brought in to serve this school district and not to serve specific schools but all of the kids as a whole so I totally agree with you on that. Um, and I think the other thing to mention is, and it's, I mean, elementary sports being cut, we have, I mean, we've seen some impact of it now, but I think in the coming years, we're going to see even more because that was for a lot of kids was the only option to play sports before getting into junior high and learning those skills so that they're interested in it, first of all, um, because studies show over and over again that kids lose interest in sports by junior high. And if they've never been exposed to it because we don't have programs for it anymore, then that leaves them at an even greater disadvantage because um, I know part of the struggle I don't know. There's like no PC way to say this, but part of the struggle on the South side is there's a lot of people with like lower socio socioeconomic standing. Like 
And it's when you make less money, it is harder to pay for extracurriculars. And parents will do whatever they can for their kids, but sometimes sports isn't in the budget. Um, I know, like, it wasn't sports for me growing up, but it was, like, I wanted to be a drummer. And my mom was like, we don't have the money to pay for what we need to get you a drum. So I didn't get to be a drummer. And it still makes me sad. My little brother gets to be a drummer. Um, so I play with his snare. But um, it's one of those things, like those opportunities. And we need to find ways to, as a community, create those opportunities for kids who, whose parents might not be able to afford it. Because we have now turned with losing elementary sports. All sports in Cheyenne right now are privatized, which means they cost money which means looking for sponsorships, which means that businesses need to step up and sponsor individual athletes, sponsor teams, and teams need to use the, that money and put it towards the kids. And that's one thing that I would definitely call for moving into this privatized sports arena um, it, for our community to say, okay, we want this to be better and we need to make sure the money is going towards kids who need it and not just kids who ha like already have the influence to get it because we have a lot of travel teams. We have a lot of competitive teams in town that are building and that's fine. But part of that is including everyone who has the ability to play and not just the ability to pay. Absolutely. And I think as a community, we really just need to get involved with the things that are happening as well. Um, you know, there's things like uh, the this, this Cheyenne Volleyball League with Michael. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, David Contreras over the City Rec Department is doing um, some really great work. Um, there's, you know, people across this town that are really fighting for our kids. And we need to really get involved and engage and support the things that are happening if there's fundraisers, support those because there's never been a greater time than right now to make sure that those kids are afforded the same um, opportunities to engage with sports. Because you're so right, when they cut the elementary sports, that was a that was a hard one on those kids. And uh, it was one of the reasons why we actually started Ringside Sports was we were taking our son to practice one day and we stopped at the gas station and saw one of the parents there and he was paying for gas and pennies. And so it really helped us see that the the problem isn't always like registration fees or gear. Sometimes it's a single family home that can't get their kid to and from. And our society has said it's too um, big of a liability to help take the neighborhood kid to practice. It's too much of a liability so we don't do that. So then that kid doesn't get there and back because he's in a single parent home or um, just the time to and from. Maybe they don't have a vehicle to get that kid to and from practice. There's a lot of obstacles that really stand in the way of these kids that us as a community can start acting like a village and start taking care of each other and reaching out across across the street and seeing what mm -hmm. we can do. I 100% agree. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh man, big things, big things. Um, <laughs> and so, and I'll also, I'll also throw out because you named uh, David at the at the city and Michael with um, CVL 
even though it's still a pain point for me. Uh, the YMCA still has a good place in my heart. Um, that was my baby for a long time, and I handed it off to somebody else. <laughs> but there's still there's still a lot of potential out there, and finding a way to work together, I think, is really where the key is because we have we have a lot, a lot of great coaches in Cheyenne. I have worked with them for the last decade. There are some amazing mentors in this town and finding a way to be able to use them and their knowledge and their heart to help our kids with asterisks, also not burning them out because that's also very hard when you have a lot of um, really well-intentioned people who will continue to give until they have no more. I think we also need to be better about that because it's one of those things. I mean, I coach for Mike and we talk about it all the time. Like we, like, I know we want to change the world instantly, but we have to take baby steps because we have to, like, you can't just erect a building overnight and expect, expect it to be sturdy. Like we have to actually build the foundation. Um, so there are things coming. So I'm very happy about that. Um, I think, you know, as parents and, and a culture in Cheyenne, one of the things that, that Ringside is really helping promote is just showing up in positive ways. As a parent sitting in a stand, instead of screaming about your kid having playing time, give, your, give that coach some encouragement, give mm -hmm. that support. I mean, just changing the culture in Cheyenne so that we're talking and engaging with each other differently. And um, welcoming in, you know, the outside communities to come play with us and, and having a better um, culture across the board, I think is really important. It, an encouraging word to a coach that is changing your kid's life goes mm -hmm. so farther than crit critiques and, and um, you know, yelling at them and, and tearing apart the other coaches. And, and I, I just think we could work better as a team in this community. So I agree. Um... One thing I, well, remind parents, unless, like, unless you're at a junior high, high school level, if your kid is being coached, they are being coached by a volunteer. They are volunteering their time to help your child. <laughs> so remember that. Um, I want to, I'm going to do this. I don't care. Um, also to parents, because there was, there was a, a parent who I almost went off on at soccer last week um, because they were yelling at their child on the field that they were worthless. And I about went mama bear on this person. Um, the way you speak to your kids matters. It matters so much. And sports does not change that. Um also, just like scientifically based, you can't coach kids when they're on the field. Like, they're not going to learn anything by you screaming at them on the field. Like, talk to them afterwards. That's totally fine. But watching, watching children play sports, especially for people who are athletic, can be very frustrating because we want them to be where we know the sport can be but they're not there yet. So also remembering that 
children still have learning and growing to do. And that, that doesn't matter if they are five or eight or 12 or 18. All of those are still very much children and they still have learning and growing to do. So allowing them to do that without bringing them down because our job, whether it's as a parent, as a coach, as a community is to build them into the best people they can be. And you will not do that by tearing them apart. Um, that does not mean there can't be constructive criticism. That's an entirely different thing, but that comes with actually building them. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Please speak kindly to your children. It matters. Okay, so we're moving into the last little bit of this where we get to do fun random questions. Um, so we each get three questions, and I want you to choose right or left. Uh, right. Okay. I got to start on this side. Sorry. Your first question. In conversations, what percentage of talking versus listening is about right? Cool. That's a tricky one. I would have to say, I mean, it's a 50-50. If you want a, a relationship with someone, you need to be able to listen to them, but you also have to engage. I see a lot in the boxing gym where people don't want to be seen either and they don't want to have to give anything of themselves and that that doesn't work either and so on both sides being willing to be seen and heard and then also to listen and and observe I think is a, a pretty good combination um, you know when you're talking about coaching it, it's probably going to change a little bit more but um, for majority of relationships I'd say a good 50 50. I dig it Oh man. Okay. So mine is name a couple of movies you like and why. Um, Lord of the Rings because friendship. Bring it on because I can quote the entire thing to this day. I watched it last weekend um, because it stuck with me since seventh grade. And why not? And Die Hard because it is the best Christmas movie there is. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. All right. So which famous person would you like to have dinner with and what would you talk about? Hmm. You know, I think probably I'd have to say Teddy Roosevelt if I could go back. Um, you know, he was one of the first um, Americans to actually participate in jujitsu. And you can just see like the, his whole idea of that whole man in the arena quote of, you know, being willing to be seen and show up and make some mistakes and then looking at his presidency and everything that he accomplished in that time. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't easy in that, in that time. And so, um, man, if I could sit down and have a conversation with him, that'd be awesome. That, I think that would be great. Um, also, I did not know he did jujitsu. Uh, Say that slowly, um, which makes sense now that where that quote comes from. J did not realize that. Yeah. Um, okay, my question. Do you think the world can live in harmony? If so, what would it take to achieve this? I literally had this conversation with my children last night because one of them said, my eight-year-old said to my six-year-old, 
oh, they'll ne there's never going to be peace. So you shouldn't even like think about it. I was like, it's possible. It is possible. It would take a lot of work, <laughs> but it's possible. Um, so do I think we can live in harmony? Yes. I think the biggest thing that we would need to achieve this is to accept ourselves and then accept others. Um, if we all accept that we are human and flawed and that everyone else is human and flawed, I think that would make a lot of big moves to giving each other grace and a lot less, so a lot less getting better and a lot less being bitter. So, and I think honestly, it starts with you. You have to accept yourself before you can show that same grace to others, which Showing grace to yourself is probably the hardest thing you will ever do in your life, so. Absolutely. I like that. All right. Your last question. I feel like yours are, like, way more in-depth than mine today. What is one emotion of yours that you think you should express more or control better? You know, I've, I think I don't really show my struggle a lot, and so a lot of people don't get to see that part of me, and they think, um, you know, I don't have struggle, but, um, my husband's always saying like, you gotta, you gotta tell people that more. Um, I try to take it all on on my own and, and it's, it's not a, it's not an easy path and it's not the right one to take. I mean, we're meant to be in community, I think. And so letting people in on that journey is important. I agree. I've been trying to do that a lot lately. And then I have to remind people, I'm like, I'm just sharing my struggle because I like, I want people to know struggle exists and it's okay. So yeah, I agree with your husband, smart man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my last question is what do you think happens to us when we die? <laughs> so my, my, my grim answer is I think we decompose <laughs> and the circle of life and we turn into flowers and trees. <laughs> um, I have become more spiritual over the last year. Um, but I think really for me, I think our bodies decompose, but I think that's also, I, I think, and this is kind of hard to explain. I think the world is built up of the energy of love and I think everything is love. I think flowers are love. I think my dog is love. I think the interaction between the two of us is love. I think all of it is an energy all working towards not just humanity, but existence in general. I'm huge into nature. Um, I don't spend nearly enough time in it, but love it to pieces. Um, and I think for me what happens to us when we die is we pass on the energy that we've carried through life into what's coming next. So yes, we decompose, but our, our corpse is then going to become flowers and trees. And it's not like when I say it grimly, yeah, it's, it's grim, but for me, it's very beautiful um, because your life turns into new life and it feeds the next generation. And I think that's something that is just, I'm very grateful for. And then the actual like human energy that you bring to the world goes back to that butterfly effect. 
the energy that I pour out into the world and the people I talk to and impact, um, that's going to live on in them. And whether they know it or not, like when you meet people, you change people. Like you are not going to be the same person tomorrow as you were today because of somebody smiling at you on the street. And that can change your whole life. And that brings us back to your story earlier. Like the smallest things can change you. And the energy that you put out into the world on a daily basis changes people every day. And they're going to carry that and they're going to change people. And I think that's what happens when you die is that you live on through all of the experiences that you had and you just keep rippling on through the universe. I like yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Janelle, we're going to end with, is there anything that you want people to know about promote things that are coming up, um, ongoing things, anything like that? Yeah, for sure. So we've got, um, with the ringside sports, we're kicking off our locker room, which is located in our downtown location. And that's a place where you can donate used gear and then kids that need gear can come pick it up free of charge. And so we're really getting that kicked off, um, in the next couple of weeks. And so if you can, if people can just keep track of our social media accounts and, and follow us, um, stay in the loop with that, we'd love to have the support of our community helping jump in with these young kids. And if we don't have some sort of gear that someone needs, we'll, we'll find some resources to take care of that kid and make sure that that's one less thing that they have to worry about. Um, so we've got also got some events coming up with ringside sports. So make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram are the best places as well as TikTok. Um, we do a lot of explaining things that we're up to there. And then, you know, if, if you're looking for a place to come and get a good workout, boxing, jujitsu, um, with a great group of people that are going to push and encourage you and just give you a safe place to grow and find your inner strength, Arena Training Institute, again, social media, you can follow us on and uh, make sure to come on out and try some boxing. Awesome. Um, glad to hear it. I will also link all of those in the description so that you guys can just click to them and um i'm gonna throw it out there i'm also gonna link your book just so you know <laughs> so people can find it um and um for me always if you if you need someone to talk to if you need to reach out um Jan i'm also gonna throw this out there because i know it's true janelle is also a life coach so we both do that um along the lines of in some, I don't have your flyer thingy with me right now. Um, but yeah, if you, if you need help figuring out your life, we got you. Um, and also you can find my book on Amazon. It is also going to be linked below and it is the first in my three book series um, a poetic journey through trauma and healing. So um, thank you, Janelle, for joining me today. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, you have a great day. You too. Bye.